The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Thanks, as always, for joining us. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so now by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash the Paul Leslie Hour. There's nothing like that voice on the radio that comes through like an old friend. I'm not talking about the bravado and talk-up shtick. It's a regular guy on the airwaves. Larry Wax is sure to go down in broadcasting history as an innovator. The Regular Guys show was the most successful morning radio show ever in Atlanta history. Running from 1998 to 2013, many of you have many memories, I'm sure, of shocking, hilarious, (laughs) and interesting moments with The Regular Guys. These days, Larry Wax hosts The Regular Guys Review a podcast chronicling the history of the show with lots of hilarious archival footage. So, first of all, Larry Wax, thanks so much for making the time to talk to us. Paul Leslie, anything for you. (laughs) You're very kind. You know, I've been listening to a lot of this archival footage that's on the regular guy's review. How do you like it? I have liked it very much. And What do you like about it? This is what I... Because, as you know, I don't have a big budget for audience research, but I want to hear you know, your thoughts on it. I like the fact that it's almost done like an audio documentary. Yeah. You know, you're sharing the memories of being out there in L.A. and about coming here, about just what you were experiencing, and then providing some of that footage to let us hear. And it brought back memories in some cases. Yeah, I would hope in all cases, but uh, you know, you're, what you're saying is really runs consistent with what uh, the feedback I get on uh, you know, iTunes reviews and, and whatnot. So I appreciate that. It's great to hear because that was my intention in doing this, to tell just a great story, tell it well, make it uh, really pop with the audio and the pacing and the music, and um, tell a story that very few people tell these days, and that is what it's like to be a blue-collar entertainer, a (laughs) middle-class personality. One question that popped up in my head again and again as I was listening to this stuff was, what happened to radio today? Well, it's a great question. That's a fundamental question. What happened? Everybody's scratching their head. Clearly, something has happened to degrade its offerings and uh, created this decline uh, of interest in the public, which I find very sad because I just, it's, by the way, radio traditionally is maybe the, you know, the platform AMF may be uh, on the wane, but radio in general is probably more popular because of digital and streaming and podcasts and whatnot. But I think, you know, the radio that we use so easily, just turning it on, we know how to tune a, a radio dial that we've, you know, the radio we've grown up with, I find it it can still be a great business. I find it still a competitive platform. Uh, First of all, everybody knows how to use it and has for many generations. Uh, Like I said, it's a very blue collar. It's the most blue collar of the all media because it's mainly populated by middle-class people. And these, you know, I'm 
even though I made a good salary, I wasn't a millionaire. I wasn't out of touch. I wasn't one of the elite. I was still a, a middle-class guy living in middle-class suburbs and driving middle-class cars and hanging out with middle-class friends. So, you know, we're right there on the front lines of our audience. And I think what's happened to radio, it's become kind of like a, uh, an investment of the elites. It's gone on Wall Street. And as you know, over the past few decades, the Wall Street economy has diverged from the Main Street economy. And I think this is the main driver of all the problems radio has, is that the people who run the radio companies have consolidated to the point where there's like, you know, five companies that matter, and they own 90% of the radio stations, and they have chosen their path with uh, Wall Street as opposed to Main Street. And there's a gulf between them uh, the advertiser, the between the radio station operator, the uh, the advertiser, and the audience on the other side of that gulf, and it shows, and it's unfortunate. Something else that I couldn't help but notice, you know, some of this footage was from 2005, and I kept mm. thinking, gosh, even what 14 years later. You would never hear that on the radio nowadays because of political correctness and just because everybody is so sensitive. That's one of the factors. That's a key factor. But overall, you know, if you have a, a market that's not constrained by uh, just a few hands and also a lot of debt, then I think you can you can do things. You're, you can be more flexible with your content. And, you know, the main thing about the regular guys show in 2005 wasn't what we said. It's because I think you can still bring across the same ideas. It's just how you say them. And when we were in talk radio, this is, you know, before, you know, the social media platforms began to bloom all over the place. But before social media, we were the social media. and those days are over where you can make your money by being very opinionated and very divisive. We were taught in talk radio before social media that give your opinions, stick to your opinions, and battle with the callers. Create conflict, create controversy, a lot of arguing. And that was good when there was no social media and there's no competition with the internet. But uh, now social media has taken the value of the opinion and it's, the, uh, it's knocked it down to zero because now everyone has one and there's nothing really to back up people's opinions. And we we're finding out that opinions really don't matter because everyone has one. So where do you find value? Well, it, it, you got to shift to the audience desire now for more observational content. People want your observations. And really, you can still give your opinions, but you got to give your observations first to give those opinions any credibility. Only then will people say that I value that guy's opinion because he's put value into the opinion, not just spout it off and say, I hate this and I hate that. So I think, you know, if radio makes that cost-free pivot. If hosts would make that cost-free pivot, they're going to find their fortunes are a lot better even if they're still straddled by uh, saddled with the, the, all those other political correctness problems. What has the experience of going back and listening to these recordings and put them, putting them together 
been like for you? It's been so much fun uh, because I'm, I'm telling a story, but on a bigger scale than I did before. And it, I, I, I noticed you mentioned it's kind of like a documentary. It is. It's, it's really, I made a movie without pictures. I wanted it to be kind of cinematic, a documentary in scope. Because then maybe uh, somebody hears a, a story well told, a good story well told. There's enough that I left out. There's plenty, in fact, that I left out of the whole podcast series, uh, The Regular Guys Review. And, you know, there's plenty of deeper dives that can be uh, taken with each of these episodes. I, I've left enough space. Um, I, you know, I, people are asking, like, why don't you play this clip or that clip, do this bit? It's not not necessary. I'll give you enough that you can reminisce over. It's going to be plenty, but I'm not going to tell everything because that would just be boring and it would give everything away. It would be going down too many rabbit holes. So I just wanted to kind of go maybe um, instead of a mile deep, I went uh, you know maybe 60 feet deep on these topics. Who would you say has been the biggest influence on you as a radio personality? Well, it's got to be Howard Stern, because that's where we started talk radio. I'd been a music radio person, you know, disc jockey, top 40, uh, pop formats for uh, before before the regular guy started in 1995 in L.A. I was on the air already 15 years, but I'd never done talk before. And uh, when we got to the station in Los Angeles, where Stern was doing the morning show, uh, we kind of took that template. We learned what he was doing. We kind of reverse engineered it and adapted it to me and Eric, my partner's style. And, uh, you know, that, that was probably the biggest influence because he was right there. We were on the Howard Stern station with a mandate to, you know, get Howard Stern's audience. Did you ever meet Howard Stern face to face? No, mm -mm. I saw him from afar at a book signing when he came to Los Angeles, but uh, we just weren't allowed near him. It was it was a weird narcissistic relationship. He didn't he wasn't friendly to us. He wasn't friendly to anybody. But so I don't you know I'm not singling myself out, but he was not nice to the regular guys at all. Uh, in, in fact, he was uh, an a-hole to us, <laughs> treated us with such disdain. I mean, I understand it, and I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's what is. And But it was great because it was trial by fire when, you know, the most popular radio personality in the world is telling you on day one on the air to the public, like, these guys suck and you shouldn't listen to them. This is what was going on. Well, then, uh, boy, you've got a mighty uh, mountain to climb, don't you? And we climbed it. So that's, you know, it's gratifying because of that challenge. What do you think it was that was driving him to be so antagonistic to you all? And that's just the way he was. I mean, if you read his books and listen to his show, as I do, you know, you know, he, you know, he's a recovering narcissist. And, um, you know, his latest book talks about how narcissistic he was. So that's what it was. I mean, the, the show business, uh, even at, ra at the radio level, is um, you know it's filled with sharks and sociopaths and narcissists. I mean, everybody knows this. It's just we you know, sometimes don't want to admit it when it's staring us in the face. <laughs> I may be one too. I don't know, but <laughs> you know that's that's the business. That's school of hard knocks. 
Well, with that being said, full of sharks and narcissists and a-holes and whatever, do you ever miss being on the air? Uh, Not really. I mean, the physical grind of doing that, turning out three hours of conversation every day, I'm really burnt out from still. I mean, I did it on sports radio for a while, but I just really didn't like it anymore. I, I like being on the air and I can see myself being on the air again. But I just don't relish it. Uh, I like doing what I'm doing. I like uh, creating and uh, creating audio productions, video productions, just telling stories with the you know with the digital tools available now. What would you say was a real highlight where you just had to pinch yourself? Wow, this is so amazing that I'm getting to do this. Uh, I pinch myself. Uh, that was day one. Uh, that was my first job in Ithaca, New York. I said, I can't believe this because I had gone to college and I didn't like school. So I started my own curriculum by just hanging out at the college radio station and learning that business. I figured, well, this is probably, you know, I, I wanted to get into film and TV and all that. And I thought, you know, radio seems to be the easiest way to make a buck as soon as possible in show business. And uh, so within a year of setting a goal to get a job, uh, you know, get paid to be on the air. I, I did it like it took a year I, uh, after my freshman year was done. So, and then I remember like getting the job is like, I can't believe it. I'm actually going to be on the radio. And this was a time where, you know, you didn't have any other outlets. You were either on the radio or you were just not heard. You didn't have any other platform to go to. So this is really powerful. Was there anyone you got to interview, either in the studio or by phone, that is especially memorable for you? Uh, there's a lot. I mean, there's no one that stands out. It's, it's just a sea of them. <laughs> and some people who just, I didn't think, meant, you know, meant anything to me going in, they just turned out to be some of the f- most fun people. But I can't pinpoint one. It's just a series of uh, interesting conversations. Didn't you get to do, uh, correct me if my my memory is faulty here, didn't you get to do a a short interview with McCartney, Paul McCartney? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, about 15 years ago. That had to have just been astonishing. It was an interview plus. The interview itself was, you know, it was okay. He was on a phone. But what happened after the interview was just one of the most astonishing things that ever happened. So, yeah, I was doing the interview. This was at the Clear Channel building on uh, Peachtree Road near uh, Brookwood. And uh, so I I had this interview set up with Paul McCartney. He's going to do a show at Phillips Arena. And being on a rock station, we got access to him. So I recorded the interview by phone. And he was in his uh, limo on the way to soundcheck. And at the end of the interview, I just, for the hell of it, I said, hey, you know what? I can't make it to the show, but uh, I sure would love to see Soundcheck if that's possible. And uh, he kind of said, oh, that's, uh, that's rich, Larry. Oh, yes, <laughs> that's rich. And, and, and at the beginning of the interview, I told him, uh, he actually called me Rabbi Wax. <laughs> because at the beginning of the uh, interview, I, uh, he, I said, uh, hello, Sir Paul. And he said, oh, no, Larry, uh, you don't have to call me, sir. It's Paul. (laughs) 
I said, oh, okay. Uh, well, listen, I'm respectful. I, you know, Sir Paul, and, and I, because I demand the same respect, uh, as I don't know if you know this, but I'm uh, Atlanta's number one rabbi. So I'd like to be called Rabbi Wax. <laughs> <laughs> I had such balls to say this to Paul McCartney. Everybody is probably so reverent, but he, he got a kick out. He started calling me Rabbi Wax. So uh, I guess that really made an impression on him because uh, after I hung up the phone, like five minutes later, I'm about to leave and somebody runs down the hall and says, hey, uh, Paul McCartney's manager is on the phone. He wants to know if you want to go to Soundcheck. Uh-huh. I said, uh, yeah. So I picked up the phone and, and it was his manager. He said, all right, we're going to leave you your name at the go to this door. And can you get down here in like 15 minutes? And I thought, oh, great. It was like five o'clock all the traffic, but it was only like from Brookwood to Phillips Arena. It was like maybe, I don't know, five miles or something. So we, we stepped on it. We got through the traffic and we got there and uh, Paul McCartney's on stage going through a sound check. And we come in, uh, me and my friend, and we sit like towards the back in the dark. And so Paul McCartney's working out one of his uh, show tunes. And then, you know, he, there's a pause and he shields his eyes from the lights and looks out in the audience. He goes, uh, is Rabbi Wax here? <laughs> I'm looking, looking for Rabbi Wax. And I stood up. I was like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Paul McCartney is thinking about me. I mean, in a major way. And so I stood up and I waved and everybody's cheering for me. There he is, Rabbi Wax, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for showing up, Rabbi Wax. Atlanta's number one rabbi. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe how far this is going. So so he he goes back to the sound check. We sit down and watch. And I'm like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like, (laughs) if nothing else happens, you know, this is unbelievable. But something else did happen. So he ends the... um, the whole thing. And once again, I want, I want to thank Rabbi Wax for coming out today. And thank you, Rabbi Wax. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, he's like obsessed with me. Paul McCartney is obsessed with me. Like when he dies, part of his brain will have <laughs> memories of me still embedded in there. It's just unbelievable. So you know, my friend and I go you know, back to the car. Uh, you know, we, we didn't even get out of the place. Like we're going to the exit and somebody stops us. This guy stops us. Hey, I'm the tour manager, Rabbi Wax. I thought, oh, great to meet you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's really, really great. Paul would like to know if you'd like to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> Paul would like to know if I would like to meet. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Let's do this. He said, all right, come with me. It's like, oh, my God. And, uh, but I never got to meet him. I, we, they put us in this holding room for about an hour. And then the guy came out and said, yeah, Paul got caught up in some meetings. He, you know, he can't make it. So here's two tickets, go see the show. And they were the best seats in the house. It was, we were like right on top of the stage. It was amazing. So didn't get to meet him, but I, you know, I spent some time with in, in his mind rent free. That's pretty cool. Very cool. How about that? Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, Atlanta's number one rabbi, but one of your other nomenclatures is Atlanta's number one movie extra. Yeah, I've had a uh, side hustle as Atlanta's number one movie extra. I don't do anything half-assed. I go for number one. 
So what has that been like? What what kind of observation have you had? Because Atlanta is becoming just a movie-making mecca. Yeah, I, uh, I've been talking about it on my other podcast, the WACHS Modcast, which is uh, available on iTunes and Google Play. And by the way, it's Atlanta's number one smartphone radio show, too. So, And it tell, I tell a lot of the stories from the set. But uh, I started, I did some like back in 2011. Actually, I did my first extra scene was in a movie called The Watch with Vince Vaughn. And I, I was nude. It was a nude scene. So right away, I'm in the big time of uh, extradom. <laughs> and uh, I, did, I got paid like so much money, $600 for the day. <laughs> it was great. But I got sick. It was cold. It was like, it's, it, it, it's an idea that's good on paper. But being nude around strangers for 15 hours is just not something I want to do again. I did it once. <laughs> and then I didn't do it for a while because I just, you know, who had the time? Because I was on the air all the time. But um, last, uh, no, two summers ago, I picked it up again. I, I, I've been getting emails from the casting agency that hired me in 2011. And I clicked on one of them, and I said, you know, I'd like to try that. I got some time. Let me uh, let me see if I can be an extra on the show. Uh, they were looking for bowler extras, and I love bowling. I have my own ball, so I sent them a picture, you know, standard headshot and all that, but but also picture me bowling. And uh, I, I they said, all right, you're going to be an extra in this uh, this show, Robbie. I think it's on Comedy Central. Or I don't know if it's aired yet. So I said, all right, uh, let's do it. So I was, that was my first extra experience. And when I was there, I asked the other extras, like, how do you all, because they're all talking like, you know, I was on this shoot yesterday and next week I got this and this. I'm like, how do you get booked so much? And they told me, they said, you just go on Facebook and they have all the casting agencies and you like them and get on their notification list and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, before I knew it, I was like booking like, uh, you know, two a week. It was so easy. And it was fun. I got to see what movie making is really like, because I've always wanted to know what it's like, but I never got to see it. And now, you know, I, I wanted to see if it's the same as what people say or vastly different. And it turned out to be very different from what you think goes on. Uh, and it's, it's, like a, it's like a military operation almost. Like the planning and the... the the teamwork that these movie sets have, even the worst movie set, like the craftsmanship and teamwork and military like precision is astounding how they pull these productions off. And so it got me interested in that. I answered a lot of my questions that I had about the movie making business, especially in Georgia, because I've been all over the state because of this. It's, it's amazing. It, it, it fulfilled a lot of uh, yearnings for adventure that I had and uh, it provided an education and it, you know, paid a little bit of money at the same time. So it's a win all the way around. I recall one time being at whole foods and I saw you from a distance and I didn't want to bother you. And so I gave you a thumbs up and you, I'll, I'll never forget. This might be creepy that I remembered this, but you were holding a thing of coconut water and you just slowly nodded your head. <laughs> I'm just curious to know, what is it like for you when people come up to you and they say, Larry, I love the regular guys, or 
Larry, it's so awesome to meet you. It's a nice feeling, but there's always that moment like, uh uh-oh, what's going to happen now? (laughs) This this person who I don't know knows my name. I don't know. It could go. It's probably going to go well. It's probably a regular guy's thing, but you never know. Everyone out there, they can check out the Wax Modcast. Also, the regular guy's review. Both of them are on iTunes. Highly recommended. You can also go to at House of Wax if you'd like to follow Larry Wax on Twitter. So, Larry, thanks so much for spending time with us. Do you have any parting words for our listeners before you go? Yes, of course I do. I always have words for my listeners. I would love for you to uh, give some feedback on the regular guy's review. Give it a listen. And uh, you can leave. uh, There's instructions on the series how to leave a voicemail or an email or Twitter. Follow uh, the regular guys review on Twitter at the regular guys. You can follow me on Twitter at house of W-A-C-H-S. And like uh, Paul Leslie just said, you can catch the regular guys review on iTunes or your favorite podcast downloader. And uh, and on Google Play, get the app for the W-A-C-H-S modcast. And uh, that's all over the place, too, and your favorite podcast aggregator, whatever they call them. <laughs> and let's see, what else? Yes, that's it. I'm out, I'm out of things to tell the listeners for now. But I'll have more if they visit regularguys.com and houseofwachs.com. Larry Wax, it's a great pleasure. Thank you, Paul. Until next time. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bop, bop, dealy, bop, bop. Goodbye.